Chapter 14, A History of California, the Spanish Period. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 14, The Jesuits in Baja California, 1697 to 1768. The occupation of either of the Californias by the sea route, rather than by following the line of overland progress to the junction of the Gila and Colorado rivers, thence branching out southward to the peninsula and northwestward to Monterey, represented a departure from the normal course, necessitating extraordinary efforts for a successful achievement. Yet both regions were settled and maintained as an overseas venture, and one of them, Baja California served in some degree as a preliminary base for the acquisition of the other. Credit for the occupation of Baja California belongs jointly to the Jesuits and the Spanish government, which cooperated to bring it about and especially to maintain the initial gains made at their own expense by the Jesuits. The Jesuits, however, are entitled to principal recognition as the active agents of the crown who succeeded in an enterprise which for nearly two centuries had had an almost unbroken record of failure. The disappointment of the government over the outcome of the Otondo colony in 1685 disposed it for the moment against incurring further expense in the Californias. But it was almost immediately reminded of the desirability of Spanish occupation by the appearance of the Pichilingues. In this case, the deep-voiced foreigners were English freebooters under Swan and Townley, who came up the coast in 1685 to 1686 in search of the Manila Galleon. Swan tried to reach Cape San Lucas, but failed on account of the age-long difficulty of the contrary winds. He therefore turned about and made for the East Indies. The galleon was not taken, but the government was again roused to action. It was believed, however, that a new method of conquest should be tried, and therefore in 1686 an offer of 40,000 pesos a year was made to the Jesuits to undertake it, since the conversion of the Indians, rather than wealth and pearls or the development of rich lands, was their primary aim, it was hoped that they might succeed where others had not been able to do so. The royal government might indeed have commanded the Jesuits to do this work, but in the nature of things it was essential to have their free consent. Thus, when the Jesuits declined on grounds of the wretchedness of the land and the small number of Indians, the government did not press the matter. The suggestion was soon to bear fruit, however. It was after the Jesuit refusal that the government made the already mentioned plan to finance Atondo again, a project which came to naught. The revival of the idea of a Jesuit conquest was due to two religious of that order, Fathers Eusebio Francisco Quino and Juan Maria Salvatierra. As a member of the Atondo expedition, Father Quino had developed an enthusiasm for Jesuit penetration into the Californias. This became one of the abiding aims of his life. Upon his return from the San Bruno colony, he had been sent to Sonora, where, in 1687, he had crossed the Altar River to found a mission at Dolores in Primaria Alta. It was there that he met Salvatierra, who had been sent out by the Jesuit order as a visitador or inspector of the missions in that region. Quino imbued Salvatierra with his own enthusiasm, 
and the latter put himself at the head of a movement for a Jesuit occupation of Baja California. The time was unusually unpropitious, for Spain was then prostrate before France in a great war which was not yet finished but was virtually decided. Not only the government, but also the higher Jesuit officials opposed the plan, but in 1696 help came from the fountainhead of Jesuit power. In that year, Father Santaella, general of the order, was in Mexico City. He favored the project. It was therefore not hard to procure a license from the government, which had so long desired the achievement of this very aim, but the proviso was attached to its consent that the Jesuits must find the funds. Early in 1697, Salvatierra was empowered to raise them, if he could, by private subscription. Salvatierra was assisted in his project by Father Juan de Ugarte, a member of the Jesuit College of Mexico City. And it was this individual who now began his important services on behalf of the Californias by suggesting the establishment of the Pious Fund for the Californias. This institution, described hereafter in this chapter, provided for the collection of funds from pious individuals and for their employment in the founding and maintenance of missions. The royal license to the Jesuits, dated February 5, 1697, called for the occupation of the Californias by the Jesuits at their own expense, assisted by the Pious Fund. The most striking feature of the contract was the provision that the entire enterprise was to be under Jesuit control. Not only were they to have charge of spiritual interests, but they were also to hire and command the soldiers and such other officials or helpers as they might need. This was something new in California history, though it had been tried elsewhere in Spanish dominions, notably in Paraguay, with success. The one check on Jesuit authority was the requirement that the conquest should be made in the name of the king and subject to the orders of the viceroy or other higher representatives of the crown. Salvatierra met with many discouragements in getting his expedition underway. He found that insufficient provisions had been supplied. Then Fathers Kino and Piccolo, whom he had intended to take with him, did not appear at the rendezvous. Kino was detained permanently in Primeria Alta, but Piccolo eventually joined Salvatierra, though not until after the latter had reached Baja California. Though affairs were not in such a state as he could have wished, Salvatierra resolved to go anyway, so he gathered together his army of six men and started. The voyage was made in two small craft, which endeavored to cross from the Sinaloa coast to the peninsula. Salvatierra's boat got across the gulf in a single day, sailing on October 10, 1697, and arriving on the 11th. The other boat was caught in a storm and did not reach its destination until November 15th, over a month later. On October 18th, after a week's search, Salvatierra picked out a site about a third of the way up the peninsula, which Captain Romero had said he had visited two years before, on a voyage of which otherwise there is no record, unless Romero was in fact referring to the Itamara voyage of 1694. At this place, to which the name Loreto was given, was now established the first permanent European settlement of the Californias. A fort was constructed with the provisions as bulwarks, and a tiny swivel gun was mounted. 
there were many natives in the vicinity and they helped in the work of preparing the camp receiving gifts of porridge and maize salvatierra was a very busy man in the early days of the colony he was priest officer sentry governor of the province and cook for the army rolled into one yet he found time to study the native tongue and to conduct religious services from the first the indians were invited to attend and they were given an extra allotment of porridge when they did trouble soon developed however on the part of the unconverted they wanted as much porridge as the converts received and furthermore began to steal things about the camp their dissatisfaction at length reached such proportions that on the first of november they issued demands for porridge for several days the spaniards thought it best to accede to them as the second ship had not arrived and their forces were hopelessly insufficient meanwhile they became exhausted with watching for it was evident that the indians emboldened by their success planned to rush the camp at last on november twelfth the attack came the spaniards felt that it was time to use the swivel gun they did so and one famous shot was fired but the result was very different from what they could have hoped the gun burst and killed two Spaniards, while the Indians received no harm. Seeing what had taken place, the Indians charged. All seemed over now, but the Spaniards prepared to sell their lives dearly. They fired their muskets point-blank at the Indians, several of whom were killed. Thereupon a new light dawned on the Indians, and they came to a sudden, unanimous, and simultaneous decision to run the other way. The battle was over. The next day, the Indians sued for peace. Two days later, on the 15th, the second boat, the one which had left Sinaloa at the same time as Salvatierra's, reached Loreto, and on the 23rd, the first boat, which had been sent back to New Spain, came in, bringing Father Piccolo. Success now seemed likely. All the Indians appeared to want conversion and manifestly desired porridge, but Salvatierra insisted upon more instruction and greater proofs of their sincerity. The conquerors were now eighteen in number, two religious, seven soldiers, five sailors, and four Christian Indians from the mainland, a force that was large enough to cope with the Indians of the neighborhood, numerous as they were. Salvatierra's rectorship, or presidency, of the Baja California missions, carrying with it the government of the province, lasted until his death in 1717. The events of these twenty years are typical of frontier life and are representative also of the course of affairs in the later period of Jesuit rule. The first five years were a particularly crucial period, for the entire weight of responsibility fell upon Salvatierra and his co-workers, without more aid from the king than the royal goodwill. The Pious Fund did especially effective service in these years, with the result that the number of soldiers was increased, supplies made adequate and regular in shipment, and more buildings erected. In 1699, the mission of San Javier was founded, south of Loreto at a fertile site, and Father Piccolo went there as missionary. In the early years, the Indians were occasionally hostile, being stirred to resistance by their native priests or medicine men, whose profession was, of course, frowned on by the Jesuits. But the fiery Captain Tortolero proved himself to be a Californian Miles Standish and was able to keep the Indians in hand. 
They displayed no enthusiasm for conversion, however. On Palm Sunday of 1698, Salvatierra planned to represent a dinner of twelve apostles, with Indians filling in the role of the apostles, but only two Indians put in an appearance. There were also the inevitable quarrels of religious and military, especially between Salvatierra and Tortolero's successor Mendoza, though in this case the Jesuits clearly had the authority. Mendoza wanted to employ more summary methods against the Indians, and also to use the soldiers in fishing for pearls. Despite the risk involved, Salvatierra did not hesitate to settle the matter by discharging 18 of his 30 soldiers. The most serious difficulty arose over the inadequacy of the pious fund for the needs of the colony, and furthermore, the amount of the gifts to the funds fell away due to the inimical reports of the disappointed soldiery and the pearl fishers. It is to be noted that obscure seekers of pearls were a constant factor in the history of the province. The Jesuits complained against them because they forced the Indians to die for pearls and consequently the religious would not sell them provisions. The government, however, encouraged the pearl fishers, and by a degree of 1703 waived the old idea of the monopoly. The effective occupation of the Californias, by whatever means it might be brought about, was what the government wanted. When it became evident that the Jesuits could not sustain themselves without royal aid, the king and his counselors came to the rescue. Philip V himself attended a session of the Council of the Indies in 1702, at which it was decided to grant a subsidy of 6,000 pesos a year and two additional missionaries, naturally at royal expense. Shortly afterward, an additional 7,000 pesos, 30 soldiers, and religious paraphernalia were added by the king, and in later years the annual royal subsidy reached as high as 30,000 pesos, thus providing for the soldiers, sailors, and missionaries. With this aid, the pious fund was able to furnish the rest. It is to be noted that there was almost no financial return on the royal investment, and that expensive wars in Europe were all along taxing the treasury to its uttermost. Yet the Spanish government though occasionally behindhand in its payments, made what was, for the times, a generous allowance to maintain and extend the conquests in the Californias, primarily because of their strategic importance with reference to the rich kingdom of New Spain. Another important factor of a permanent variety was the difficulty of communications with the mainland. Many instances of delays and wreck occasioned by the storms of the Gulf of California have already been noted. In Salvatierra's time, about one ship a year was lost by wreck. Salvatierra became convinced that it would be much better to develop a supply route by way of Sonora, and in 1701 visited Quino in Primeria Alta to discuss the matter. As a result, plans were made for joint expeditions from Sonora, Baja California, to see whether there were a practicable trail. It was impossible to do this by boat, as the number of wrecks left the Jesuits with an insufficient fleet of vessels, and the contrary winds were too difficult a factor to overcome readily. Explorations were made by land to the end of Jesuit rule, but never quite reached the Colorado from the side of Baja California, 
or the settled part of the peninsula from the side of Sonora. It is important, however, that the need for such a route was recognized. Baja California was in fact at the extremity of an overland advance, occupied as a result of special circumstances before the intervening spaces. The greatest of the Baja California Jesuits, undoubtedly, was Father Salvatierra, but second only to him stood Father Juan de Ugarte. It was Ugarte who organized the work of the Pious Fund, but he was not content with the task of administering that institution. He wanted to be an active toiler in the field. So in 1701 he came to Loreto. Father Piccolo had just been driven away from San Javier by the Indians, but Ugarte went there to restore the mission. Moreover, relying on his great strength, for he was a giant in stature, he sent back the soldiers who had gone there with him. He re-established the mission, and as the site was fertile, put the Indians to work at agriculture. The experiment, which had not previously been tried, was a success, and in course of time, San Javier was able to produce a surplus for use at the other missions. Ugarte was a man who radiated enthusiasm, and he was able to succeed where others would have failed. Patient as a rule, he could also exhibit a picturesque wrath. On one occasion, he took an Indian by the hair and swung him around his head, and on another seized by the hair two Indians who were fighting and dashed them to the ground. His bountiful courage was particularly useful in 1701, the year of his arrival. Provisions got so low that even Salvatierra was ready to abandon the province. Ugarte opposed and said that he would stay, whatever the others might do. All stayed, therefore. Very soon they were reduced to eating roots, but a ship came in time to save them. Naturally, upon the death of Salvatierra, Ugarte was appointed to succeed him, and he ruled until 1730, when he died at the age of 70 years. His term of office was one of great munificence to the pious fund, with the result that more missions were founded and the establishments generally placed on a secure basis. Ugarte resolved to solve the riddle of the gulf, if gulf it were. First, it was necessary to build a ship, for those which plied between the mainland and Loreto had proved unequal to the northward voyage. Scouring the land, he found a grove of timber in an almost inaccessible ravine. The builder said that it was not suitable for a ship, but Ugarte cut it anyway and hauled it for a hundred miles over mountain ranges to a mission on the coast. The ship was built, and named appropriately the Triunfo de la Cruz, or Triumph of the Cross. In this boat, the venerable rector, then sixty-one years of age, made a voyage up the gulf in 1721, taking an Englishman, a certain William Stafford, called Guillermo Estrefort in the Spanish, as pilot. Ugarte proved that the sheet of water upon which he sailed was a gulf. Yet, so persistent were the old ideas that the voyage had to be repeated by Father Consag in 1746. Then, at length, the legend of California's insularity was overthrown forever. A serious Indian revolt broke out in 1734. 
the indians of the cape san lucas region had always been unruly and particularly objected to the jesuit efforts to deprive them of their institution of polygamy there were only three jesuits and six soldiers in the south when the rebellion began and two of the former and four of the latter together with many indian converts were killed in seventeen thirty five when a boat from the manila galleon put in at cape san lucas thirteen spaniards were massacred the news of these events spread through the peninsula and the indians of the north seemed on the point of rising wherefore all the missions save that of loreto were temporarily abandoned in seventeen thirty five sixty hard-fighting yaqui indians were brought over from sonora and they saved the situation for a time later in the year governor huidobro of sonora came to the peninsula and decisively defeated the indians of the south as a result the revolt in the north died before it had fairly broken out and that of the south lost force though the indians of that quarter continued to drive off cattle and to commit other depredations for some ten years more abandonment of the province had been averted however in seventeen sixty eight the jesuits were deprived of their position in the peninsula before relating how this came about it is well at this point to summarize their achievements in baja california as a recent work puts it quote, during their seventy years sojourn in the lower or baja california the jesuits had charted the east coast and explored the east and west coasts of the peninsula and the islands adjacent thereto they had explored the interior to the thirty-first parallel of north latitude about a hundred miles south of the present international boundary in a manner that has never been excelled they had brought about the institution of the pious fund they had founded twenty-three including the chapel of jesus de monte mission establishments of which fourteen had proven successful footnote two of the fourteen were abandoned by the successors of the jesuits in footnote they had erected structures of stone and beautified them they had formulated a system of mission life never thereafter surpassed they had not only instructed the indians in religious matters but had taught them many useful arts they had made a network of open trails connecting the missions with each other and with loreto they had taken scientific and geographical notes concerning the country and prepared ethnological reports on the native races they had cultivated and planted the arable lands and inaugurated a system of irrigation considering the abundance of level land the water and tens of thousands of indians about them the establishment by the franciscans at a later time of twenty-one missions in upper or alta california during the fifty-four years preceding the passage of the secularization act is no circumstance to the peninsular work of the jesuits finally the jesuits of california were men of high education many of them of gentle birth of their labors in the peninsula it has been said with truth that remote as was the land and small the nation there are few chapters in the history of the world on which the mind can turn with so sincere an admiration footnote north arthur walbridge the mother of california san francisco and new york nineteen o eight in footnote 
aside from the mission presidio at loreto and the other missions there were a few settlements in baja california where spaniards lived the jesuits always resisted the entry of any whites other than themselves in their mission guards they even opposed with success several royal projects for the founding of presidios on the west coast their idea here as in paraguay was that the conversion and civilization of the native was the prime reason for their presence and that these aims would best be attained if the selfish interests of white settlers were not allowed to complicate the situation there was a sprinkling of miners however in the south and as already noted the pearl fishers continued to visit the coasts it remains to deal in somewhat more detail with the pious fund the pious fund of the californias founded by salvatierra and ugarte in sixteen ninety seven came to be eventually one of the principal supports of the missions of both baja and alta california the royal treasury never provided enough for the needs of the missions which could not have been sustained without a much larger governmental grant if it had not been for the assistance of the pious fund for the first few years indeed the pious fund was the sole reliance of the jesuits at the outset the method of handling was for the donors to pay over the interest merely on sums that they had given but retained in their possession thus a grant of ten thousand pesos which was usually regarded as the capital required for the support of one mission entailed payment of five hundred pesos per year as interest to the jesuit administrator in mexico city one donor went bankrupt however and from the year seventeen sixteen the funds were paid over in entirety and reinvested usually in ranches the greatest benefactor was the marques de villapuente in addition to providing sums for the founding of a number of missions he gave several hundred thousand acres of land in tamaulipas with all the flocks and buildings upon them a certain josefa paula de arguelas gave nearly two hundred thousand pesos and a member of the great borja or borgia family maria de borja duquesa de gandia gave sixty two thousand the fund reached a total of from five hundred thousand to one million pesos and produced at a rate of about five per cent a jesuit procurator managed the estates and bought and shipped goods to the missionaries in the peninsula after the expulsion of the jesuits had been decided upon in seventeen sixty seven the pious fund was taken over by the government but was managed as a separate financial institution with a view to carrying out the objects of the original donors it was henceforth applied to both californias occasionally too funds were devoted to other than purely religious objects as in the case of the expeditions of seventeen sixty nine and seventeen seventy five seventy six to alta california both of which were provided for in part out of the pious fund in eighteen thirty six the mexican government which had succeeded spain in exercise of sovereignty over the californias passed a law that the fund should be applied toward the expenses of a bishopric of the californias which with papal assent it was proposed to establish thus the religious were deprived of any further utilization of the fund in eighteen forty two the mexican government reassumed control 
but announced that it would employ the proceeds to promote the civilization and conversion of the savages. Later in the same year, the separate estates of the Pious Fund were sold, and the monies obtained were incorporated in the Mexican treasury, but the government made formal acknowledgment of an indebtedness for religious objects in the Californias to the extent of 6% a year on the amount it had received. When the United States took over Alta California in 1848, Mexico ceased to make further payments on behalf of that territory, and for many years they lapsed. In 1868, a commission met to adjust claims between the United States and Mexico, and while it was still in session, the Catholic authorities of California put in a claim in 1870 for a portion of the income of the Pious Fund, so much as would normally have been Alta California's share. The United States entered the claim, but as no agreement with Mexico could be reached, the matter was submitted to an umpire in the person of Sir Edward Thornton. This gentleman rendered a decision in 1875 calling for payment by Mexico of 6% annually on one-half the value of the fund, on the theory that Alta and Baja California were equally entitled. His decision covered the 21-year period from 1848 to 1869 and required payment by Mexico of $904,070.99 or $43,050.99 a year. Mexico paid, but announced that any future claim for arrears would be inadmissible, a contention with which the United States did not agree. In 1891, the United States put in a claim for the arrears since 1869, but Mexico declined to honor the claim. In 1902, however, the two countries consented to a submission of the case to the Arbitral Tribunal of The Hague, the first case ever acted upon by that body. The court gave a unanimous decision that Mexico should pay the accrued interest, which by that time amounted to $1,420,682.67, and also that Mexico should forever pay over the sum of $43,050.99 each year on the 2nd of February. The money is payable to the United States, which of course recognizes its obligations to give the full amount to the Catholic Church in California. Mexico has again fallen in arrears, and the matter of the Pious Fund has taken its place as one of the perennial unpaid claims of this country against Mexico. As for the share due Baja California, Mexico has long since ceased to make payments. Thus, strangely does the course of history take its way. Who could have foreseen such a varied career for that heritage from the missionary zeal of Salvatierra and Ugarte, the pious fund of the Californias? In 1767, the Spanish government issued a decree expelling the Jesuits from all their dominions. The causes for this action had scarcely anything to do with Jesuit activities in Baja California, though there, as elsewhere, charges were filed against them. It was merely part of a worldwide movement in Catholic countries against the Jesuits, growing largely out of a fear that the Jesuits were planning a great revolution against the absolute monarchs of Europe. Portugal and France had already expelled the Jesuits, and Naples followed the lead of these countries in Spain in 1767. Indeed, 
the pope was induced to suppress the jesuit order in seventeen seventy three though it was later restored it is therefore futile to go into the question of the justice of this decision as affecting the jesuits of baja california as the complaints of their detractors which were in great part false or very greatly exaggerated had no real bearing on the case in baja california as in all other spanish domains great secrecy was observed in carrying out the decree and no hint of what was coming was given in september seventeen sixty seven captain gaspar de portola a native of catalonia arrived in the province with a commission as governor he called the jesuits together and on february third seventeen sixty eight they were sent out of the peninsula the indians it seems made great manifestations of grief and well they might for their future in other hands was to be less happy than it had been under salvatierra and his successors the franciscans of the college of san fernando in mexico city had been offered the california field in june seventeen sixty seven and had accepted but it was not until april seventeen sixty eight that their first missionaries actually arrived in the peninsula footnote the college of san fernando was not a college as that word is ordinarily understood in this country it was one of several franciscan institutions such as the colleges of queretaro jalisco and zacatecas which served primarily as an administrative center for missionary work and as a home for missionaries without employment or for those who had retired from actual service the College of San Fernando, which was destined to supply all the missionaries of Alta California in the Spanish era, and most of those in the Mexican, was founded in 1734, in footnote. Meanwhile, the missions had been turned over to military commissioners who gave very little thought to the Indians and very much to a search for the vast treasure that the Jesuits were reputed to have accumulated. As a result, the missions were nearly ruined and the indians were left in sad straits while little or no treasure was found at the head of the franciscans who arrived in the spring of seventeen sixty eight was junipero serra the appointee of the college as president of the missions then in his fifty-fifth year the conditions under which he took up his presidency were very different from those of the jesuit era not only was the government of the province forever removed from mission control, but also the temporalities of the missions, that is, the flocks, crops, and economic resources in general, were left in the hands of the military commissioners. Only the church properties and spiritual authority were to be in charge of the Franciscans. The military men had proved to be self-seeking, or else incompetent, so that the missions seemed doomed to fail not having food or clothing to give the indians the missionaries could not attract the unconverted or even hold the former protégés of the jesuits later in seventeen sixty eight jose de galvez the citador or royal inspector of all new spain arrived in the peninsula and one of his first reforms was to give back the temporalities to missionary control with this the new regime in the Californians, that of the typical frontier province, may fairly be said to have been installed. End of chapter 14